Greetings to each of you this morning. It's a joy to be in God's house with God's people. I think I'll ask you to stand again for prayer. Let's just quiet our hearts before the Lord. Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Kingdoms are divided. This world with its systems that do not honor you degenerate, divide, bring confusion, bring destruction. Oh, thank you, God, for your kingdom. Another world, another place that we get the privilege to function under that kingdom in this fallen world. Oh God, I pray that this morning as we've gathered together, I pray that you would make your word to come alive to us. Pray that you would breathe by your spirit, life, truth, breathe encouragement Bring exhortation to our hearts, I pray, from your word this morning. Not just knowledge, oh God, but your spirit would speak to us, God, and transform us one more step closer to the image of Christ. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit in our hearts. We need your spirit to to uh, give meaning, to give life, to give uh, making your word relative to where we are today and the relationships that you have called us to operate with and so many things that we get to face to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Oh God, we depend on you. Pray that these words would be your words to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This morning I would like to learn from the Word a bit about a subject which I have called the discipleship of discipline. The discipleship of of discipline. 2 <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> we are going to um, read this chapter, and especially our text comes from verse 1 through 11. <clears throat> We're going to try to set it in its context a bit with chapter 5 and chapter 7 as well. The discipleship of discipline. Let's look at the points of discipline that Paul sets forth here. And um, let's see if we can learn from the word how that it relates to discipleship. 
Second Corinthians chapter six, verse one. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything. That the ministry be not blamed. Giving no offense in anything. That the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, in by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Hallelujah. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. This chapter just um, struck me between the eyes a couple weeks ago as I was just going through Second Corinthians chapter by chapter and um, spending a week meditating on each chapter. And so several weeks ago I was on chapter 6 and I felt like God really had a message for me here, uh, a lot of instruction. And uh, I don't think a week has been enough or maybe the month since to digest the depth uh, the many lessons and many different topics actually you could branch off into from this this um, somewhat lengthy list of things that uh, he talks about have to do with approving ourselves as ministers of God in verse 4. <clears throat> so 
I felt like God was laying on my heart to use this um, to to base um, burden on my heart here this morning. Let's look a little bit here at the context. First of all, it's important for us to understand this thing of who are the workers. Who are the workers? In verse 1, he says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Because the reason that's so relevant to us, bring meaning to this chapter, is because that's who this whole chapter is addressed to. And in fact, that is what we are approving ourselves. We are approving ourselves, he says, as the ministers. We are approving ourselves as the workers. I believe that word's used a bit inter- interchangeably here. We are approving ourselves as the workers or as the ministers of God. So, am I just preaching to Brother Earl, Brother John, maybe Brother Brian here today? Is this passage just speaking to the ordained ministers of the church? Well, let's back up, put it in context a little bit in chapter 5. Verse 12 uses... Um, some interesting wording, which is similar to verse 4 of chapter 6. So back up to chapter 5, verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. Them which glory in appearance and not in heart. We are commending ourselves to you. The word commend... Uh, is used quite interchangeably with the word approve. They both come from the same Greek word. Approve in verse 4 of chapter 6. You may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, we'll come back to that verse in verse 12. Whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Verse 13 Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Fundamental to our Christian faith, Jesus died for all. That includes me. That includes you. Because that no one lives after the flesh. If any man be in Christ, is a new creature. And because of that, in verse 18, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. That has to do with that salvation that is for all. He has died for you and I. And he has to those that... Jesus has reconciled to himself. We see in verse 18, he has also given the ministry of reconciliation. So, are you reconciled to God this morning? Praise the Lord. So, on the same token, you're recognizing that you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Can't separate the two. To be reconciled to God is to have that ministry. To be a worker. 
And so then you have the sober calling to be approved and to approve yourself as a minister, as we see in verse 4. So, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20. We are speaking out to the world in Christ's stead, saying, Be ye reconciled to God. <clears throat> we then. What's the therefore? Therefore. What's the then therefore? It's connecting chapter 5 to chapter 6. This is one conversation. This is all one context. The letters were not written with chapter headings. Someone came along later and put those headings in. Paul is just flowing down through his train of thought here. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. We see much of Christianity trying to claim that they have been reconciled to God, but they have received that grace of God in vain. And they have denied their part of being uh, ministers of reconciliation. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. You are a minister of reconciliation. <clears throat> Verse 3. Giving no offense in anything. That the ministry be not blamed. God has reconciled you to himself. And in the same motion, he has made you a a uh, propagator of the same thing. You are now an agent to reconcile the world to him. And so because of that, I then go forth in my life and I live my life diligent that I will not in anything do what? Make that which God has entrusted to me to be blamed. I will not in anything make that which God has given me to be blamed. I will not give reason. You know, let's think of the same context as the word blame is used for qualifications for a bishop. He is to be blameless before he is qualified to be ordained to the office of a bishop. So let's make this ministry of reconciliation, which is part and parcel with the fact that I've been reconciled to God, let's make that to be blameless. That's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of responsibility. You getting the picture? Our position, our responsibility that comes with that. Okay, so now... It takes some of the focus off of me obeying the Bible, obeying the commands of Jesus, obeying the church, doing the ordinances, whatever else it is. It takes some of that focus off of just this fear relationship that I have to obey Jesus lest I won't be reconciled to God anymore. It takes it to the representative level. Now, I have a responsibility because I am a minister. There's a purpose beyond myself. It's more than just me focusing on this connection, this relationship between me and God. It's me making the connection that this, which is part and parcel with my lateral relationships, all of a sudden this then is uh, the reason that I must make my ministry to be blameless. So, the big difference. 
all of a sudden it doesn't just matter what I think about my relationship with God. It doesn't just matter if what I'm doing has the proper meaning to me. I know my motives are pure. I know my reason for doing this thing is right. And so I'm not worried about that breaking down relationship with God. All of a sudden now, it matters what all, how it affects all these lateral relationships. <clears throat> all these lateral relationships. Because I don't want that ministry to be blamed. I want it to be blameless. I do not want to give reason for someone to disannul or to discredit or to uh, reduce in some way the power of my ministry. <clears throat> Giving no offense in anything. Doesn't make a distinction from big offenses versus little offenses. Does it? But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, rather than make offense and cause a possibility for someone to bring blame or to discredit or to see some inconsistency in my life because I did something that had that meaning to him, even though it didn't to me. Rather than doing that, here's the opposite of what I should do. To make sure I don't do that, here's what I should do. Verse 4. In all things. So we have some absolute words here. We have no offense in anything. Now we have in all things. Again, clearly putting emphasis that no matter what level it is, no matter how big of a deal it is, no matter if it's a high profile thing or just a small you know, thing, no matter if it's something you do frequently or something you do occasionally, in all things. Approving ourselves. Approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Approving ourselves as the ministers of God. <clears throat> to approve ourselves. That's an interesting way of saying it. I think we have a little bit of old English challenge here. So all that matters is that I approve of myself. It's going straight flying in the face of the context and what the scripture is teaching us right here, right? Well, <clears throat> approving ourselves. Approving, the word in the Greek, simply means to stand with. Okay, so I stand with myself. Well, that's an independent Christianity. would fit pretty well in America. <clears throat> well, as we go down through the context and we see all the things listed here, we can see that... Uh, I, to live a blameless life, does not bring bad rapport, does not bring anything negative shadow on my ministry, my ability to minister, to be an ambassador. What I need to do in all things, so in everything that I need to do, I need to do that which stands with this testimony, which feels appropriate, which is consistent, which supports I need to do that which, um, in all things. So in everything I do, I will approve myself by my actions, by my words, by my attitudes, by my motives, by my relationships. All of these things are approving. Again, it's clearly lateral. It matters what other people think. It matters the meaning that it has to others. So, 
as I am doing these things, I am taking into consideration as far as I can understand, as far as I know, as far as I learn and getting feedback and learning about brother so-and-so's culture and learning about sister so-and-so's culture and learning about your history and learning about my history. Those things all help me to do my ministry in a blameless way. What stands out first to me, what first stood out to me in this passage that really made me sit up and take notice and say, whoa, there's something here for me, uh, something for the church, was this list of things which I'm going to call disciplines. Disciplines of the Christian life. There is discipline that Paul uh, is teaching us that we need to submit ourselves to. Disciplines of the Christian life. Now, I do not have time this morning. The purpose of this message is not to make a comprehensive list of disciplines and say, okay, you know, here's the categories. I think that'd be a really fitting and good practical message to have. I'm a little bit zooming out from that, and we're not going to in detail expound on every single one of these disciplines. We're going to make a few notes, make a few comments. Uh, But these are disciplines, and before we even read through this, I'd like to... uh, to just state um, a premise, state a, a significant premise that is uh, perhaps uh, a lot of the burden of this message. Disciplining is vital for discipleship. I'm going to see if this uh, helps us here. Disciplining is vital for discipleship. How about... If we write the word disciplining up here, okay, and we're going to write another word which might not be 100% um, normal English, we have two words here. One is disciplining and discipling. Do you see any similarity in these two words? You know, if we just take out those two letters, the I and the N, in disciplining, we come up with the word discipling. And uh, the entomology is clear. They both come from a same root word. The importance of that is huge. For us to disciple... For me to be discipled, for me to be a disciple, for me to, let's just look at it this way, for me to be discipling my heart, I need to be disciplining my life. For me to be discipling my heart, I need to be disciplining my life. Discipling has to do with teaching, does it not? Following. Being taught of Christ as we follow Christ is to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, to make a disciple is to teach that person as they follow you. So it has to do with many different forms of teaching, perhaps. It is a following, primarily. But it is clearly lots of communication of truth. Discipling. <clears throat> disciplining. And that takes us uh, to another thing we should note here. That discipline has two forms. Two forms. One is formative. 
and another is corrective. And so we're going to try to look at discipline in the broad sense and try to, um, again, we're going to zoom out. You know, first, burden of my heart was just to talk about personal discipline, how to discipline your life. And, and uh, we could talk about, you know, personal disciplines, uh, family discipline, and, you know, in order to bring order and structure and things to your life, how it's necessary and how it's helpful and those kinds of things. And we're going to talk about that some, but I'm just zooming out a little bit more. And I think we bring a lot more meaning to personal discipline. If we understand its connection to discipleship. And the personal discipline in that sense, as we think of when we use the, the, the word in that term, uh, we think of simply rules and, 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 and um, structure that we provide for ourselves. Uh, and uh, we think of a, a very, a very um, exacting, maybe, uh, form of life. <laughs> But we can also think of discipline as an act. Know that probably the second thing we think of when we bring out the word discipline is we think of something that a parent does to his child. Discipline. <clears throat> and we're going to see how these come together a little bit. Right? wanted to throw that out uh, because it is a main premise that uh, we're going to explore a bit here. So let's go back now to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Verse 4. This is the context in which we approve ourselves, in which we do and say and live our lives in a way which is befitting, approving, which commends. It is complimentary. It is commendable. <clears throat> approving ourselves. It happens in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. So, this is the context. I think it's interesting, the first one is much patience. Have you ever had God take you through something difficult and come out on the other side and you start seeing value in it and and uh, you, you're glad to see the good things that God did in your life through the, through the process, well, you say, wow, God, that was tough. That took a long time. That was a deep valley or whatever it is. Much patience. And you secretly hope, I hope that I'll, God won't have to go to that extent next time. Much patience. Much patience. In afflictions, it takes time, the patience. It takes repetition. And it requires affliction. Difficulties. We can think of many different kinds of affliction. Health afflictions. Relational afflictions, perhaps. Afflictions. In necessities. We use the term um, how that we have to go about our um, uh, the, the necessities of life. Have to make a living. Have to stick our nose to the grindstone. 
In Africa, we often use the term, it takes so much time just to live. And the reason for that is, okay, we understand back in America, you do your 40, 50 hour a week and you earn your living. But that's just to, you know, the finances to do things. But but there, maybe we realize it still takes a lot of time to provide physically, even without the the dollar um, wage earning. Necessities. There's so many necessary things. Practical necessities. In distresses. Maybe that's more the emotional. The worries. The fears. Struggles to have faith for the future. Distresses. In stripes. Now we'll get talking a bit more about the corrective. It may be something I deserved. Maybe where I stepped out from the formative discipline. God's teaching. God was delivering truth. God was discipling my heart and I didn't follow through. And so God steps into the corrective disciplining. Corrective discipline. It could be something I didn't deserve. It could be um, getting the 40 stripes like like Paul did, being imprisoned. And he talks about imprisonments in tumults. He's thinking of a shipwreck, I believe, at sea. In labors, it's a lot of work. Whatever difficult task you're in, you're constantly conscious of giving no offense. In watchings, how about sleeplessness? Sleeplessness, that's what watchings means. Your mind is full. It may be in a good way. And it might be that God has put such a burden on your heart for uh, a work that needs to be done, for a person that needs to have the gospel communicated to him, needs to have... uh, a brother come alongside of him or a sister come alongside of her and just burn is on your heart. And you're awake at night and you're thinking and you're praying, watchings. Might be a sermon that needs to be prepared. Your mind is full and, and there's watchings in fastings. In all of these different situations, we are to approve ourselves as ministers. We are to be disciplined. We are to restrict ourselves. We are to make practical applications of what it's going to take to make sure that in all these varied situations in life, we will not cause offense. That's the heading. Giving no offense. So how are you going to do that in all these different contexts in life? You're going to do it by pureness. Keeping a pure heart. You're going to do it by knowledge. And again, I don't think it's a mistake those two are at the top. Foundational. Having a pure heart has to do with our motives. Has to do with truly loving God. Truly loving that person in that difficult situation. Having the right attitudes. The right motivations. And by knowledge means that I'm willing to submit myself to be a learner of this situation. Be a learner of that person. Many mistakes are made in relationships. 
because I didn't know where he was coming from. So I say one thing, and whoop, that gets dropped right into a situation in his mind of what he saw happen in his, in his history. And all of a sudden, he disagrees. And so I disagree with him. And the relationship escalates. <clears throat> Knowledge. Can I be humble enough to step back and say, you know, before I disagree with this brother, can I ask you a few questions? Can, can I learn a little more about your background? What, what's your church background? How did your parents handle situations like this? You know, and you find out a lot. Find out a lot. <clears throat> Just took note here the other night how that um, for a couple that's getting ready to be married, thinking about the way your home was, the way the home was of the spouse that you're getting ready to marry, you're the partner, makes a big difference because you're going to be able to understand where that person's coming from. You need to understand how relationships were done there. You need to understand how things were done, how um, reactions were handled, how uh, differences were settled, and all of those things. Whether they were done right or done wrong, whether it was by the parent to the child or child to the parent, doesn't always make a difference. It's simply that is what the background is. That's what's normal. That's going to be the tendency. And that's going to be the framework. That's where they're coming from. So learning knowledge. Knowledge is very important. This is an essential tool. Put it in the toolbox. Put it in the tool bag. You're going to need it. If you're not going to cause offense. By knowledge. By long suffering. It's a simple word, but such a difficult one. How to suffer long. Don't give up easily on him or her. <clears throat> by long suffering. By kindness. Just simple courtesy. The proverb of a soft answer returned to a wrath, kindness. Do it by the Holy Ghost. Need the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes supernatural power. It takes love unfeigned, true, sincere love. <clears throat> it takes the word of truth. It's simply sometimes you have to stand on the word of God. That is our firm foundation. It takes the power of God by the armor of righteousness. On the right hand and on the left. If I am right before God, I am pure before God, my heart is in the right place, that protects me. And I don't need to be defensive. I don't need to put up my own defenses. I don't need to put up my own armor. I don't need to accuse the other person in order to try to protect myself. Because I have an armor around me on my right hand and the left hand. Because of righteousness. <clears throat> righteousness. As unknown and yet well known. As dying... I'm sorry, I skipped verse 8. By honor and dishonor. So, sometimes our tool is the respect that we have with that person. Sometimes our tool can be the disrespect, the dishonor, the lowliness in which that person views me. That's a harder one to receive. Sometimes we can do this by evil report. Sometimes by good report. We need to be able to turn each one, whether it looks like a disadvantage or an advantage, we can use it. 
as deceivers, and yet true. We can still be true, even when it looks like we're a deceiver. As deceivers, and yet true. As unknown, and yet well-known. Our reputation. Our reputation. Whether great or small. As dying, and behold, we live. Laying ourselves down and finding true life. No matter how much we're beaten, we refuse to give up. We refuse to give in to the flesh. We are not killed. No matter how much it brings sorrow and distress to my natural man, as I respond rightly, I can always be rejoicing. As poor in the physical, someone looks at my life, looks at my possessions, and I'm a poor man, but I can still have great riches spiritually. I can have nothing and yet possess all things. Verse 11, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. I think that's a beautiful combination. As I am opening my mouth and speaking to you, on the same token, my heart is made larger. My heart is made larger to include you. Our mouth is open unto you. I speak freely, but not closing my heart to you. I don't speak to you truth in a way that I'm closing my heart to you and trying to put a distance and trying to put you lower. No, I do it opening my heart. My heart is made large. My heart is made to uh, be able to handle more, uh, to be able to love in spite of things that do not go well, to be able to love in spite of relationships that do not go well. Then, he exhorts in verse 13, you also be enlarged. You also be enlarged. Let's think a little bit more specifically about Things in your life, disciplines. This is very much in the um, in the abstract. A lot of these things are fairly in the abstract. They're the principles, but it comes down to daily things in our lives that we must apply. We learn something that's helpful. We see how someone else is able to bring structure to their lives because they apply some discipline. And so in our home, we decide, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get up at a certain time. No more of this getting up when you feel like and everyone get their breakfast whenever they want to. We're going to have our family devotions at a certain time. The the boys at a certain age can learn to be dressed by a certain time. Those things are called discipline. Let's get another example. How about um, fasting? How about fasting? 
Why would you fast? Many good reasons to fast. But if you do it for personal discipline, that might be a an extra important thing to do if you're one that simply struggles to like food a little bit too much. So we have the principle. I can stand up here and I can teach you from the Bible and I can give you the formative discipline of teaching you about gluttony and teaching you about feeding your flesh. That's formative discipline. You might read it in the Bible. That's formative discipline. Now for you to discipline yourself accordingly, you're going to say, okay, how can I deal with this thing in my life? So your goal is to use disciplining for discipleship, to teach your heart. Your goal is not just to not eat too much. Your goal is not just to fast one day a week. Your goal is that you want to change your heart so you put that food in its proper place. So disciplining is vital for discipleship. It's vital for discipleship. For me to keep on learning and for me to keep on teaching. Discipleship is on both sides of that. For me to keep on learning and for me to keep on teaching. Discipline is vital. Paul showed us here how discipline uh, and bringing our bodies under is vital in order to be able to disciple others, in order to be able to minister. <clears throat> discipline. So for me to decide that I need to fast one day a week, if I accomplish that and I fast one day a week, and that day is Wednesdays. So every Wednesday I'm fasting. And I'm disciplining myself. Sunday lunch comes along. And I have about two helpings too much. And this goes on week after week. In between days, I'm gluttonous. But Wednesday I discipline myself and I fast all day long. Honestly, that's what happens with a lot of diets, isn't it? These short-term diet things. These, these diet fads that come and go and... And uh, you can do it for a certain number of days, and then guess what? Things change real fast in the weeks after that, and you're better off. You would just stay even keel. Because <clears throat> you're, yeah, we won't go more about that. But uh, the discipline did you no good. If you disconnect the formative discipline from the corrective discipline, it will do you no good. You must bring the two together. So, as you're fasting on Wednesdays, you are thinking about the principle. You are praying about the principle. You are asking God to change your thought process. You are uh, giving a new skill to your body and your tastes. And then that is going to affect you on Thursday and Friday and Sunday lunch. Sunday dinner. <clears throat> Here's a definition for discipline. To train, to discipline is to train people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. So I can work that out in the corrective sense where I force myself to fast every single Wednesday. Set up a 
you know, accountability. You know, we have these these, these accountability partners for, 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 for dieting and things, right? So I can set up the accountability. Not wrong. That's all good. That's all fine. But if I am doing it purely for the 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 um, the pun, if, if I am doing it just for the Wednesday, and I don't have the formative discipline, I don't have the teaching, I don't have the conveying of truth, and I am not doing it for the purpose of forming my heart to be more like Christ, forming my motives, forming my desires, my passions to be more like Christ. It does away with his value. <clears throat> this isn't a sermon about our eating habits. Just try to pick a fairly uh, non, uh, a, a simple topic that uh, I think we all can agree on. <clears throat> Non-confrontational. So we need to bring together both the formative discipline and the corrective discipline. <clears throat> Before we go further, let's turn over to First um, Corinthians eight. First Corinthians eight. Here we're talking about making offense. Let's build on this principle of making offense, and let's still keep in mind the principle of disciplining for discipleship. <clears throat> bringing together the formative and the corrective forms of discipline. <clears throat> so, here we have the thing of not causing offense. Paul is giving teaching, and the practical issue here is touching things offered unto idols, eating food that's been offered unto idols. <clears throat> Verse 8, he says, Meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Biblically, from the context, I think we can make a definition for offense this way. Offense is simply causing someone to think that I'm tossing out a particular biblical principle by my practical action, because that practical action has that meaning to him, even though it may not have that meaning to me. That is what we're being instructed about here in chapter 8. That is what I think we're being instructed about there in Second Corinthians as well. Blameless. So it's not just me knowing my heart, I have the right motive, I'm doing it for the right reason, doesn't have that meaning to me, doesn't have a bad negative meaning to me. But offense is when it has a negative meaning to someone else. It makes that person think, I am breaking a law or I am breaking a principle of scripture. <clears throat> it causes offense. We have different 
uh, backgrounds. We have different life experiences. Even right now, every day, you go to work, your background is being formed. You have different influences on an ongoing basis, not just 20 years ago. It has to do with today, too. We have different influences coming into our lives. We see different things. We experience different things. I see one person taking a practical uh, thing, and they're using it in a bad way. The other person over here in his setting doesn't, doesn't ever see that. doesn't cross his mind. <clears throat> That's where the knowledge comes in, the discipline of knowledge. We need to know one another. We need to learn from one another. When one person says, wait, that's a problem with me, we don't just call him the weaker brother. And I, I would like to really raise that, that concern here about chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 8 here. Uh, <clears throat> the principle of refraining from a particular practice because it offends a brother. I heard of a church situation one time. There was a brother that, uh, he was a bit adventurous. He liked doing neat things, new things, exciting things. And uh, he got himself a motorcycle. He's driving his motorcycle. That caused, it was brought to his attention that even though he doesn't think that he's joining uh, affinity with a Harley group or anything like that, but that caused uh, a problem for other brothers in that same church. And so the request was made to this brother that he should put away his motorcycle on the basis of how it affects the other people in the same church. And his defense was, okay, but the people that really are against this, the people that's really offending are the church leaders. How does this work? The Bible says that they're the weaker brother. So I should like treat my... Leaders as weaker brothers? <clears throat> well, I think that's where the knowledge comes in. I think that's where the knowledge comes in. We need to learn the meaning. I can learn meaning that it has for them, which is important for me, and maybe I should have some of that meaning for me too. <clears throat> I learned to drive a motorcycle in Africa. And when I drive a motorcycle in Africa, it means that I... I am working hard to be on the level of the people. I'm lowly. I, I'm relating with them. I uh, am careful with my money. I'm operating in the context of a poor man like they do. I'm limiting myself to their means in, in one practical way which I can do that. Okay? It's drawing much less attention to myself than if I drive my Land Cruiser. That's worth 20 times as much or 40 times as much. <clears throat> Here, if I drive a motorcycle, in some context, to some people, it will be drawing attention to myself. So it has that meaning. I could come straight from Africa, never know how things are done here, and I could, uh, you know, just kind of feel like, hey, I'm used to driving a motorcycle, and, and uh, you know, I really don't have that much extra funds for, for that expensive uh, fuel it costs to drive a bigger car and everything, and, you know, get myself a cheap motorcycle and drive around. And then a brother comes and he tells me, you realize that when you do that, you are sending a message of your affinity with certain spirits, certain attitudes and groups of people that are not godly. And I had perfectly pure motives. I had, I was linking it more with my background of Africa. And I wasn't, I need to learn some knowledge. 
and you learn some knowledge. And guess what? That brother might not be a weaker brother. It could look to me like he is. Ah, he's making big issues of things that aren't big issues. But you know what? This, that, this chapter 8 does not apply to us in all, in all occasions. In, in, here he's dealing with something that was clearly stated and the church had agreed upon the difference of Old Testament versus New Testament. Here's things there was clear teaching, uh, that something is not wrong. Eating meat offered to idols. Someone who has not yet received that clear teaching and still has one foot in the Old Testament, it still has that significance to him, that is the weaker brother. But it's not that way for everyone. There's not always the weaker brother. It might be simply someone who has more knowledge than you do. It might be someone who's simply a little smarter than you are. Someone who's, keen, who's a little bit more um, tuned in to the, the indications that are given when you do a certain thing. Someone who's more sensitive. Someone who's more wise. And so, it has a negative meaning to that person. It didn't have to you. But you still need to learn from that person. <clears throat> Discipline. So that is some formative discipline, some instruction, some discipling that comes into my life as I uh, submit to that. And Paul says this is his attitude. He says, he says it in very strong language. Even in a case where I'd be perfectly justified and he truly is a weaker brother. He doesn't have more knowledge. He doesn't have better understanding of these things. He truly is a weaker brother. Even in that kind of case, he says these words. If this particular thing Make my brother to offend. I will eat no flesh while the world standeth. I don't want to get close to that thing. I mean, as long as physically possible, as long as this world still exists, I'm going to do everything I can to stay away from it. He is serious about it. He makes no allowance. Okay, let's go on down through. Uh, He's still talking in the same context, chapter 9. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? So he understands that, that, that wording. I'm free. We're free. We're, we're free in Christ. He understands that kind of thinking. He says, if I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. So I'm free to do what I, what I, uh, what I feel is the scripture gives freedom to, right? Power to eat, drink. I'm free to go get married. Lead about a sister, a wife. There's other ministers of the gospel who do those things. Have we not power to forbear working? In the context, I think he's saying, do I not have the freedom to choose not to go and make tents in order to support my, myself as I travel around? Do I not have that freedom, that power to make that choice? Is that not up to me? Then he goes on to build a clear case that biblically speaking, he does have that right. And biblically speaking, the church actually does have, uh, it, it would be right and good for the church to support him financially so he would not have to go make his tents. So the clear case of the teaching is there. It's in the place of the church to do those things. But he sees a danger. He sees a danger, simply what we saw there in First in Second Corinthians, there, that possibly... If he would do that, it could make his ministry to no longer be blameless. If he would do that, it could make his ministry to no longer be blameless. says in verse 15, 
I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me. For it, is, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Because of his motivation and his calling and his ministry. The form of his ministry was to preach the gospel. And so that's what he's highlighting here. And we all preach the gospel in some form. Of course, he's talking about it in a very direct and literal form. He's to preach the gospel. And he, uh, let's keep on reading. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that. When I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not the power in the gospel. He's saying, I'm really seriously afraid for myself. I'm afraid that I would take advantage of this good right, which I would have to live off of the, 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 the financial uh, return for my spiritual contribution to the church. <clears throat> but I, I'm afraid that I, I would weaken I'm afraid that I would um, that would abuse my power. I would abuse this privilege in the gospel. So my reward, my reason for not doing it, is so that I can somehow be a better minister. I can be a more blameless minister. I'm free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. self Discipline. He has put boundaries on himself because he understands that disciplining is discipling. He understands that to discipline himself is to teach himself, is to put a precaution for himself, is to keep his heart in the right place. He made a law for himself. Disciplining is simply making a law and placing rewards and negative consequences. Punishment. On both ends of it. Motivation. His motivation was to be able to preach the gospel freely. What would be the punishment? What would be the drawback? The danger? Maybe it would make the gospel not effect. Maybe it would, it would dampen. Maybe it would hinder. Maybe it would disannul in some small way. He goes on with the same tenor of thought. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, although not without law to Christ, to God, under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Now he comes out and uses the word law himself. What he's saying is, I put laws into my life. I feel more responsible to put laws into my life because my living, my existence is not about myself. I have a ministry. I have a purpose for still being alive in this world. There's a reason God didn't rapture me out of here when I got born again. I have a reason to live here. So I am careful. And I don't need to take advantage of every liberty that is rightfully mine. So there's things that are sinful and wrong we need to cut out of our lives. There's other things that are right which we need to cut out of our lives. 
Biblically, you could clearly defend it. It was, it was his right. It would have been good for the church to support him. But he made a decision. You know what? I see a danger here. And I don't know what his situation was. If there was some particular reason that there was other relationships involved or it, it brought, um, you know, things going on there that, that made a danger for him. But he said, I know that it will undermine my power in the gospel, my ability to be a minister. And so I am going to limit myself right there. Discipline. Discipline. He put a law. He saw that making rules for himself was helpful. Disciplining is vital for discipleship. We have to understand that principle. It's not so important what your laws are, but it's important that you understand the need for them. It's important you understand the need for them. To the weak became I as it became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And we know what this is like. This is like we have we have restraints we put on ourselves that, that that we abide by both here in the states and in Africa because we have two different cultures. And the same thing is good one place and bad in the other place. So we cut that out of our lives. Next thing is good one place, bad in the other place. So we cut that out of our lives. And so because of putting ourselves under the restraints of both cultures and and different things that mean different places, we do as much as we can. We put ourselves under the law of both. We try to gain knowledge about what these things mean. Every little practical thing I wear, thing I do, the way I drive, all these different things. We we try to gain knowledge about what it's going to mean because it's not so matter what what it means to me what i'm used to what i think about when i see a person doing this but what does it mean to him or to her made all things to all men because i have a purpose for my life my reward is to fulfill my reason for here you know i can go home and and i can um you know, give my son a reward. I could give him a little snack, you know, the smallest little thing because he did so well in school this week. And if that can motivate my, 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 my six-year-old, how much more a reward to simply fulfill the purpose for our existence should motivate us? We who are adults and we understand the purpose for our existence, a reward so we discipline because we have a reward out ahead of us. And we understand the discipline that come, the consequences that come if we do not so. That's where the punishment is. It's the, it's the negative consequences that come if I would miss this point that I can, I can incorporate into my life. You know, there's so much purpose packed into this. This I do for the gospel's sake. See, it's not for my sake. It's not just to make me more clear my relationship with God. It's not about that. It's for the gospel's sake. That I may be partaker with you. That's his purpose. So that I can be with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Give it all you got. Be vicious with yourself. Limit yourself. Regulate yourself. Make your lines far back from where it might cause a problem. Do whatever you can. So many times, the only thing that hinders us from doing it is our flesh, or what's popular. And it's not really going to hinder relationship. It's not really going to be another biblical principle that counters this one. We quickly make those up. Oh, that's just his opinion. Well, maybe my way of doing it is just my opinion, too. And maybe as I grow in knowledge of my brother, I learn more about good biblical truth in his opinion. That maybe I don't have as much grounding for in mine. 
Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. More than that little snack that our six-year-old gets, we understand our incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I bring my body under subjection because I actually fear for myself. Lowliness of mind, humbleness of realizing, you know what? I could misstep. I could go astray. I mean, look before you. Look at all the godly men, women who have served God for many years, who have extended themselves maybe more than you and and I have. And they face temptation. And they miss the mark. It calls us to be circumspect. It calls us to purposefully limit ourselves to put those disciplines into our lives. Chapter 10. He talks about baptism here in the beginning part of the chapter. Sorry. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. I keep under my body, and I quote again verse 27, and bring it into subjection, lest... So again, this is the purpose coming out. For the purpose that it's possible that in the end, I've been an example to others, I've preached to others, people have looked up to me, they have watched my life, they have been discipled by me, so I've been a pattern for them, and rightfully so, that should be a goal of all of ours, all of our lives. But that at the end, I could be a castaway. You can think of the examples. I won't mention names here. But you can think of the examples of godly men who ran the race and charted a good course and taught us. They discipled us. Discipled you. Discipled me. It might be a father. It might be a minister. It might be uh, a well-known preacher. And just because maybe he didn't walk away from Christ, but maybe he didn't live up to his own ideals or his children didn't, ten years down the road, it affects us those very good right truths that he preached all of a sudden don't have quite the power they did paul was conscious of that he took extra precautions took extra precautions to put that distance between himself and the world so i discipline myself slash i make structured rules for myself you do it. All of us do it. Sometimes we do a lot more than we realize. Sometimes, you know, uh, disciplines that become habits. And that's wonderful. It doesn't make as much of a, a character issue because it's become a normal. It's become a habit. You don't have to work so hard in your character to accomplish those, those disciplines in our daily life, in our, our routine. <clears throat> we do it in our personal life. Uh, it happens in the work uh, sphere. It happens in any kind of structured environment. It happens in the classroom. It happens in schools. It happens uh, <clears throat> everywhere it's required. You have to have some discipline. You've got to have some agreed upon uh, ways of working together uh, that, that you have in common. It makes uh, corporate life much, much more effective. Why discipline myself? Why make structured rules for myself? One, it deepens resolve. Also, it practically equips to accomplish a task. 
It simply gives you resources that you're needed to get, get the job done. It removes distractions. Provides focus. It provides meaning to abstract principles. Let's go back to our illustration again of the fasting. The abstract principle is don't overeat. Gluttony is a sin. So, how do I get my fingers on that? Well, I can discipline myself. I can make a rule that I'm going to fast. Again, remembering that that really won't do me any good. So, okay, I didn't sin on Wednesday. But if I'm going to be habitually sinning on Sunday afternoon, that really didn't do me any good, did it? Remembering that I need to have the formative discipline. I need to have the teaching. I need to be instructing my heart. I need to be in prayer about that. I need to understand, for, first of all, why I'm doing it. And then I need to keep reminding myself of that and keep doing it in that spirit and doing it for that reason. It's formative discipline. I need to bring the formative and the corrective together. The formative and the corrective disciplines together. That provides meaning for fasting on Wednesday. And um, what I'm presenting is that by uh, disciplining ourselves, it doesn't need to be pulling ourselves up by a bootstraps and a work salvation. It doesn't, mean, doesn't need to mean that I'm automatically um, feeling good about myself just because I fasted for Well, that other brother must not be quite as spiritual. He doesn't manage to do that. That other brother might be living a consistent, disciplined eating habit in every day. And, uh, but if I am doing it because I want my heart to change, it actually is a necessary tool. It can be a helpful, and I believe it's a necessary tool in order to help my heart to change. If I separate it from the teaching, don't understand the principle, don't understand why, and don't keep reminding myself, no, it won't work that way. So the purpose for me to be fasting on Wednesday is because I want my heart to change and put that food in its proper place and change my heart from where it had it too high. There's lots of examples that come a lot closer home for you and I. I'll let you make those applications. Uh, ask your dad. Ask your mom. Ask your teenage sons, your daughters. Ask your brother. Ask your sister. Talk about these things. Make some applications. Ask your wife, your husband. and Talk about applications for your home. Talk to your ministers. Talk to your brothers and sisters about applications for, for here in the congregation. <clears throat> Uh, uh, a big dis- uh, purpose that we see in these passages we looked at in Corinthians today for discipline is that it makes it much less likely for me to make my brother to be offended. <clears throat> so discipline comes out to really simply be a rule. It can be self-discipline. It can be a rule I make for myself. It can be a family discipline, a, a rule that we agree on that is going to be a helpful thing to um, help us to go in the right direction as a family. And these disciplines we're talking about are things beyond sin issues. These are not things which, as soon as you cross that line, in itself it's a sin. But these are things that we do because we want to stay far from the world. We want to stay far from sin. We want to stay far from our heart that gets attached to, 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 to putting too much value in one of these physical things. Whether it's food, or whether it's your car, or your motorcycle, or your business, or uh, 
education. Education's a god in, in Tanzania. Um, <clears throat> whatever it is. We have a mentality at times. We are at least sometimes tempted with a mentality that for it to go to the church level and to become a corporate discipline on the church level, that is a sign of our spiritual weakness. We have at times been tempted to look at churches who do that uh, and say, hey, they make church discipline out of things that aren't written in the Bible. We tend to look at that as a spiritual weakness. Well, they're not, they don't have revival in that church. They're not quite as spiritual. They, don't, they wouldn't need that. That's just a prop. That's making them to, uh, to, to rely on that prop. It's bypassing the heart. Guess what? We have grounds to say that because it's true. It does happen many times to bypass the heart. It does happen many times that someone would fast on Wednesday and still be a glutton every, every Sunday afternoon. You, you got the point. That, does, that is a problem. But can we bring the formative discipline and the corrective discipline together? And can we use them to be discipling? To the extent that any discipline, any rule is going to bypass my heart and not teach me and disciple me, then I need to do away with it. Or I need to bring it together with the teaching so that it does do that. But to whatever extent, whatever way it's used, that it can disciple my heart and teach me and change me more like Christ, then I need it. <clears throat> What's interesting, if we learn from history, I think we can learn a pattern. We can learn a pattern about this thing about uh, discipline, and particularly on the church level. We have some history. You know, it's interesting, it didn't take long at all. Didn't take long at all. After uh, this book was closed and Revelations, the last verse of Revelations was written and, and, um, and the, this Bible was canonized, 100 years, in about the year 100, which is probably right around the time that this book was canonized. Someone help me out. I don't know if I have a year. Someone have a year on that? A couple hundred years later. Okay, so even before canonization, we had uh, uh, other material coming out, which was not held level of Scripture, and that's what's really important. Do you hold something at the same level, or do you teach it in its proper place to, to show the difference? That this is something that's a helpful discipline. Um, I teach my children what time to get out of bed, but I don't put, teach them at the same level as cheating. Make it, make, does that make sense? And so it puts a difference in their conscience, and it keeps the cheating in its proper respectful place, that rule, compared to what time to get out of bed. <clears throat> All right? But I, I can and will and have exercise corrective discipline even for not getting out of bed when they need to. <clears throat> Point is made. The Didache came out 100 in year 100. So this book was barely penned. Maybe not even completely so. The Didache came out, which was simply a book of church rules. It was a church discipline. The church was thriving. It was healthy. It was spiritual. And it produced the Didache in year 100. Uh, by year 200, it produced the apostolic tradition of Hippolytus. By year 250, it produced the Didascalia. And by the year 390, it produced the apostolic constitutions, which was quite a large document. And many of our understanding of how the early church practiced and functioned is, still comes out of that. These are things that they agree upon. This is necessary. This is helpful. Many specific things that applied to their day, we wouldn't even make sense out of today. So that's the nature, too. It changes uh, and is with what's fitting for that time. 
And that is a sense in which the church should change, not in a compromising or a drifting way, but it should change in making more meaning to the scripture by making more appropriate, more applicable uh, uh, applications to today's uh, things that we face. Okay, that was up to about year 400. So basically the whole time period, the Antonicene Fathers time period is, is where these things were used. About the, the, uh, the, the, the Nicene Fathers period is where the watering down started to happen fast. Uh, we had Constantine come in. We had much, much corruption come into the church. And guess what happened? Those things mostly vanished. The use of discipline vanished. When do you see it again coming up to be prevalent? The Reformation. All those hundreds and hundreds of years of darkness. When light sprung up, when life came, guess what came with it? The Anabaptists, the Moravians, the Waldensians, the Czech Brethren. And guess what they brought with them, with these revivals? They understood the importance of disciplining themselves and agreeing together and strength from that. And although it wasn't a church uh, movement, the Wesleys brought about the Methodist societies which operated in other movements. And that also proved they agreed a big part of the Methodist societies was revival in those groups. They agreed we're going to follow after God the whole hearts. And they had to subscribe to a whole list of, of, of rules. But it wasn't on the level of being a Christian or not being a Christian. So it's important to understand those differences so they could use them in a healthy way. It wasn't on that level in their conscience. It wasn't taught on that level. Why? Can we prove that? Because those societies operated within the larger churches. The Lutheran churches and, and, and uh, I believe even within Catholic churches. And so there was recognition for right or for wrong. There was some recognition this is a different level. This is not on your basic conscience. I can't accept to this person and, and sit in the preaching, the teaching, and the baptism, and the communion of that leader uh, just because they're not a part of this Methodist society. <clears throat> but uh, Methodist society, they touched on things um, outward. Like, these types of disciplines tend to be very outward, very physical, very visible on the outward. Um, they talk, touched on things like taking the name of God in vain, um, <clears throat> buying and smelling smuggled, uh, buying and selling smuggled goods, doing the others we want them to do to you, not putting on gold and costly apparel, um, not engaging in amusements, not engaging in luxury and needless self-indulgence, not laying up treasure upon earth, touched our finances like many church disciplines tend not to. And then many instructions that they commit themselves to, and they had to do these things in order to be a part of these Methodist societies. On the positive side, such as employ fellow Christians before you employ someone else in your business. <clears throat> Public worship of God, ministry of the word, read and expounded, uh, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence. <clears throat> I think we can see from the life of Paul, by his example and by his teachings, that we have a purpose to live for. We have something to motivate us, to put our body under, to do whatever it takes, anything it takes, to not offend. If we can understand that to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be disciplined. Disciplining is vital for discipleship. Discipline is both formative, and that means my ideas, my ideology is formed, my principles are formed by teaching. And discipline is also corrective to keep me accountable to 
follow through in practical ways with that teaching. May God bless his word to our hearts.